Starting on January 11th, Health Power will be posting every Tuesday instead of every Tuesday and Thursday. On Thursdays, starting on the 12th, you're going to get Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Say write books about dogs. I interview them. So if you're a dog lover, I hope you will check it out. Tell your friends, tell your family. Also tell them about Health Power. So again, Health Power every Tuesday, Dog Eared with Lisa Davis every Thursday. Hope you'll tune in. Does your dog carry around any unusual item? Not only carried around, but cuddles with it. So my lab, Benji, who is nine, uh, my daughter left a roller skate lying around and he carries it around and then he brings it over to where he likes to sit and then he cuddles with it. Like he literally puts his paws around it and puts his head on it. And I thought that's very interesting. I mean, it's not soft. It's not cushiony. You know, dogs have a lot of interesting behavior. So, you know, I do start the show with a question about does your dog do this? And we are very lucky to have the fantastic art and more. I mean, talk about knowing about dog behavior. The Dog Behavior Answer Book, Understanding and Communicating with your dog to build a strong and happy relationship. Arden Moore's many callers in the pet world include national radio show host, podcast host, professional speaker, MC, best-selling author, fear-free certified professional, and master pet first aid CPR instructor. If I read all the stuff she's done, that would be the entire show. So Arden, welcome to Dog Eared with Lisa Davis. Pause up, Lisa. Yeah, my last name sort of says it all. More. Yeah, exactly. Now, does your do any of your dogs, or have you seen this, where they kind of carry around unusual objects that aren't particularly, like, cushiony or soft to cuddle with? Well, these guys are your typical soft mouth dogs. But part of it is that dogs, they their nose is, like, 10,000 times better at smelling things than we do. You could actually drop a Cheeto in a swimming pool and Benji will know it's there. See, that blew me away when I read that. I learned so much, by the way. Yeah, go on. That was just like mind-blowing. So it, for the dog, it's all about what is giving them a sense of security, what is giving them a sense of fondness. You mentioned your daughter, I guess. It was something with your daughter. Yeah, my daughter's roller skate. It has her scent on it. So in a way, Benji's being, even though Benji's a boy, right? Yes, Benji's being a mama dog. Benji's being like, oh, that smells like her. It's like a security blanket. Who cares if it isn't cuddly? My nose knows this is something related to her. Now, I always fart. Start, always fart. I always fart. <laughs> <laughs> That's why your podcast is a gas. <laughs> I always start the show with the same question, but I'm going to add a little bit to it because in your wonderful book, which we're talking about today, the Dog Behavior Answer Book, Understanding and Communicating with Your Dog to Build a Strong and Happy Relationship, you write, I dedicate this book to all the dogs in my life, past and present, who have made me a better person. Now that's the first sentence. Got to get the book to read the whole dedication. When did your love of dogs begin, Arden? I think in diapers. <laughs> I mean, I grew up in a, a, a place near Chicago in uh, Indiana. I don't know anything about Indiana because we were almost close to the uh, Illinois border. and uh, But we had a lake in our backyard. Wow. And I remember our, our first childhood dog was named Nikki. And I just never have, I don't have a memory without a dog. And Nikki and I, I guess I was a toddler, would uh, follow me everywhere. I put my cowboy hat on Nikki. Mm. Nikki would wear it. Then I would wear it. And and so my mom always had to wash my hair. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I've been very blessed to start with my first step probably with a dog. Yeah, you're so lucky. You know, I shared in a preview episode just to kind of tell people what the show's about that my mother was afraid of dogs. And I uh -huh. was I was just born a dog lover. I mean, from a young age, any neighbor who had a dog, I would be there. My best friend, I talk about her dogs in that first preview episode. So go back and listen if you haven't. And okay. I didn't get my first dogs until I was 33. And wow. I can't even get over how life, I mean, it's even more magical and wonderful than I thought. But it isn't problem free, right? There are behaviors. Right. For example, in the preface you write, you don't know why your dog bark, bark, barks when you conduct a Zoom call. You get embarrassed when your dog greets your date by sniffing his butt. <laughs> you are puzzled as to why your dog just will not quit chasing that tennis ball, even when you're totally tired of tossing it. And there are so many more things. And I, I picked a few from each section. But let's talk just a little bit about how not all, not all dog behaviors are, you know, fabulous. No, well, not all human behaviors are uh, fabulous. Yep. But the point is... 
I, I have a degree in communications from Purdue University, oh, wow. but I do believe that our dogs communicate more cleanly and clearly than we humans do. And part of the reason that um, this book just came out, the Dog Behavior Answer Book, is because I actually wrote one 15 years ago. And my publisher wanted me to update the edition and, and said, just put like 20% in new stuff. I started reading my 15-year-old book that has been steadily selling every year and realized there has been so much new information, science-based, veterinary-based, behavior-based. So my new book, the Dog Behavior Answer Book, it's actually 80% new content. And it all brings back to communication. And so my goal is to help people who paw through the pages to be able to <laughs> get a better understanding that this is a two-way conversation, whether it's spoken or whether it's postures between you and your dog. And, and I'm here to help you do that because I want it a win for you and I want a win for the dog. So some things we think are pretty weird that our dogs do, but you ask a dog to another dog and they're like, that was pretty good. Yeah, that's normal. That's normal. What are those humans doing over there with this thing called a clicker? And what is streaming? I don't care. <laughs> so the, the goal is to help both the person and the dog. Yes. And your book does a fantastic job. So you've got sections in the book. We're going to start with what it's like to be a dog. And I love in each section, I just took a few questions, which is really hard because every question is great, but people have to get the book. So you have a question that uh, will help all dog parents. Okay. Let's talk about canine hearing. One person asked about her Siberian Husky and I love this because oh, this is yeah. so true, right? It can be snoozing upstairs in one minute. You open something in the kitchen, a bag of chips or something. And all of a sudden you're like, are they magic? How did they get here? Talk to us a little bit about canine hearing. You mentioned the nose earlier with the Cheeto in the swimming pool. I, I was jokingly, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm a punter. I love I it. I say, ear he, ear he. You know, <laughs> about the, the hearing. But they have several muscles, like 18, 20 muscles in each ear. Uh -huh. And think about that. You get excited if you could wiggle your earlobes. But a dog's ears are kind of like zoning in, like sonar. And they can do different rotations. They can pick up higher pitches than we can. They can pick up lower pitches than we can. And um, they, they actually hear about two times better than we do. But they also have a frequency, a longer frequency. So I am saying that that husky upstairs not only heard the crinkle of the snack bag, but teamed up with the nose and smelled the, the, the goodies in the bag too. So dogs are actually hearing therapy. They're service dogs that are being trained to help people that have hearing impairments. And I'm just, you know, it's amazing. We're just tapping all their talents. Now, this will probably be not one of your favorite comments, but cats out here dogs. Really? Yes, but cats are like, I'm not going to do a hearing. I'm not helping you. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting, too, is my husband would say that Benji can hear his car from a block away because my daughter yeah. and I'd be home and Benji starts barking. And then I and then it's like, I don't know, a minute or two later, I hear my husband's car. And you actually wrote that in the book. Yeah, there's a there was a scientist. Uh, Sheldon, I forgot his name, uh, but he, he did a study and when dogs would go to the window and he would, he would do it and have the people come at different times in different cars. And this bond that dogs have with their favorite humans is very strong. And we're just starting to learn it, but it is fascinating. Kona and Emma, those are my dogs. They are up on top of the couch and then there's a little picture window oh, that they can look to the driveway. So when I turn the corner, I know they're there already. And they could be sleeping somewhere else. Knock on wood, I have never come home without them waiting for me. And mm -hmm. I do think that's attributed to the bond that the dogs have. They love us. We need to love them as much as they love us. And the fact that they have super senses. Yeah, they do. You know, you talk about vision and you say we have more in common with dogs. And you also write, uh, nixed the notion that dogs can only see in black and white and shades of gray. They do see some colors, primarily blue and yellow, but not as many as we can. Where do you think this whole myth came about of dogs just seeing in black and white? Well, I just think we, we have more science now. Oh, okay. And, more, and, and back in the day, people just probably assumed dogs only saw in monochrome. Um, 
but there's a there's actually the dog channel TV, dog TV. Yeah. And there's people on their um, advisor experts like Dr. Nicholas Dodman from Tufts University, who's done a lot of studies about colors and all. So places like dog TV, they've learned that certain colors and certain hues dogs pick up better and at certain perspectives too. So yeah, can a dog see a ball? Yes. Will they see the yellow tennis ball better than the red tennis ball? Probably. So it's kind of fascinating because you are dealing with a species that doesn't speak English. And I just think it's pretty interesting how they can see and that we should recognize they can see in some color. If you ever watch the Sunday morning show uh, where they do a little nature clip at the end, Kona and Emma, if there's a big bird or a squirrel on our high def, and that's the other thing, we all have high def TVs now, there's more dogs watching the screen now for that one dimensional squirrel that just comes scurrying by. Yeah, my dogs do that too. By the way, I don't know if you can hear Blue snoring, my pity. Oh my gosh. It's like, <laughs> I'm listening to you and in between, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> well, please, Blue, I'm not that boring. Come on. Oh, no, you're fantastic. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> See, if he could hear you, he'd be like sitting up and, and be all, as excited as me. All right, let's talk about brain power. Uh, this was interesting. You say sizing up a dog's brain power can be tricky because dogs don't think the way we do. Expand on that for us, Arden. Well, right. I mean, we have different kinds of emotions and different kinds of, 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 um, I'd say priorities would be a, a good thing. Sure. Um, dogs are really more present minded focused. They're not sitting back there going, dang it. Three days ago, I didn't get that squirrel I was trying to catch <laughs> or, you know, in two days, I want to have an extra treat. And we tend to think about what we should have done and what we need to do. But dogs are in the present moment lane. I'm jealous. That's a wonderful way to be. That's what all those yoga, Zen, Namaste, all of that is about trying to think like a dog. And that is be mindful in the present moment. And we're too many distractions. Um, and it is, you have to be a little tricky. There's a guy named Stanley Corr, and he's a, he's a, a genius when it comes to studying dogs and uh, intelligence. And he's actually a psychologist, and he wrote a book, The Intelligence of Dogs. And people assume that the poodle is the mensa of the, of the pet world. But ladies and gents, there are some not so bright poodles running around. Then some dog like a basset hound may just surprise you with their intelligence. So there is a genetic component, but it is not an absolute. Well, I did the towel test on both my dogs. You have this great thing in the books. You put a towel, they're laying down, you put a towel over their head. And my pity, who I think of as wicked smart, he sat there for about three seconds and then he took it off. So it was it was under 10 seconds. Benji, though, right away was like, get this thing off me. In the book, I have three tests. You drape a towel over, see how long it takes them. There's a there's a leash test, you know, where, um, and then there's the, the bucket test. Well, Blue did great on the leash test. He was like right okay. there. And I didn't do the <laughs> yeah. bucket test yet. Where you put some, a treat underneath and then you have divert their attention and then they have to pick what hat, where the treat or the toy is. Yeah, and the leash is about association. And don't tell me that dogs do not associate a leash or your car keys possibly with going for the W, the walk. I watch this. Kona, I know we're on uh, right here. Kona, you want to go for a, I don't even have to finish the sentence anymore. Oh, yeah. And we have a house key that we hide in this one little spot. And their harnesses for uh, Emma and Kona are in a bench by the back door. We sneak around. I I just look and say motion, and I do a W, and the dogs know how to spell. So Kona and Emma associated our body language. That means probably it's a walk. We're going for it. Uh, Sometimes it's a walk because you, you wear different shoes or different clothes on a weekend from your business clothes. There's a lot of cues that we give off, and dogs are very good at observing um, our behaviors. They learn by observing. And so I laugh because I can't say go for a walk 
without right giddiness exploding. So people, some you come up with some different cues, but they they've already got your your cues down pat. Isn't that crazy? It's amazing. Well, when I take my pick up my laptop and I walk toward the steps, both dogs run right down into my studio. Well, Benji and Blue, they're no ding dongs. No, they're, they're smart. They're some pretty smart, <laughs> pretty smart good boys over here. Now this is interesting too. Uh, don't judge a dog by her breed. So you had a question from somebody about their lab who doesn't retrieve. Now, I got Benji when he was a year and nine months. This dog doesn't retrieve. This dog doesn't swim. And I'm like, I thought because it's a retriever. Now, if there's a pond near us and if I have him on leash and I go into swim and I'm not tugging at him, he'll follow me in and swim. But if yeah. I throw a stick, my muscular pit bull will swim after it. <laughs> my lab just sits there. So it's just bizarre. <laughs> well, there's a genetic propensity. Right. It's not a genetic guarantee. Uh, okay. Yeah. You know, if you ever watch the AKC, you know, Westminster shows and all that, they have them in groups, you know, there's the herding dog and the, and, you know, and the working dogs and the hounds and all that. But there is just more of a genetic tendency, but it's just like, um, you know, in, in people, you know, we, I don't know, all redheads have freckles. I don't know. Are all redheads fiery tempers? No, my sister's very mellow. <laughs> Karen, shout out to Karen. Um, but I had a corgi, a Pembroke, and uh, he was a herding dog, but he wasn't overly exuberant about it, which is great because you don't want him herding the kids around. Um, but there are some labs that are just like, mm, no, thanks. I'm, I'm into something else. Just like in our family, that you know, everybody in the family uh, maybe um, learned how to, uh, I don't know, cook or something. And then you have a son that says, no, I think I want to work on computers. Even though there's a whole line of people. And that's like the line, the lineage of a, of a breed. We as humans have genetically bred dogs hopefully to do certain tasks in based on their size and things like that but it's not a hundred percent guarantee not at all you know what's funny you brought up the corgi because my friend had a corgi who was big into the herding instinct and this was years yeah. ago so the dog we'd be at like a I don't know, some place where you could bring your dog and there's people, you know, jogging by and her dog would try to herd them. And she would yell from far away. He's only trying to herd you. But it sounded like he's only trying to hurt you. <laughs> and then even worse. And I'm if she's listening, I had to share this. She would yell, he thinks you're a cow. And I'm thinking there's got to be better ways. To <laughs> you should see the look on Arden's face. There's got to be better ways to train. He was trying, as they say, bless you. Bless yes. your little heart. It's like, you know, when you put the cup to your ear and you and the conversation at the end is totally different. So what should she have done? And what, what should people do if their dogs are super herdy or herdish, whatever the word is? Yeah, well, first of all, the dog is on a lead. It could be on a long lead if you're out on a walk in the public. You know, there are leash laws. And there are ways to make the game of herding more fun. In, in my book, I actually talked about with Corgi's um, you, you might even uh, try a game of I hide, you seek, you know, so if the dog is too gone because you're not matter to them. You're not a priority anymore, but the squirrel or whatever the, they want to chase. But if you make it a game, like starting in a control room, an area like your house or your, your backyard that's fenced in and have a friend or a relative have the dog and then you hide and the dog doesn't know where it is. And then you call out, hey, hey, I'm here. And reward the dog for coming back to you. Uh, I learned with Jazz, that was my corgi, that if I said come, he, <laughs> or years ago, this was years ago, if he didn't come, I will get here now. Come on, come on, come on. And he'd like sheepishly come. And then I realized I did a ding dong. This dog is now thinking I'm running around. You're yelling at me to come back. So guess what? <laughs> I don't like to get yelled at. So see ya. Wouldn't want to. Be ya. So you need to come up with a second word like, you know, bye. I used to do that with jazz. I would go bye and turn my back <laughs> and stand and look at a blade of grass like it was so fascinating. 
and the curiosity got the best of jazz and he was like well what's what's over here and it's a transition but i never had a problem with him coming on cue after that but they have that instinct they do beagles smell you later i mean you know the so you've got to come up with things that make you a higher priority and a higher reward but you're, you're dealing with nature and it is tough so I do a lot of hiking with my dogs, and if it says you've got to have a leash dog on a trail, please have a leash dog on your trail, because even though you think your dog has the best come recall, it could be something out there that is more tempting than you, or your dog could actually startle another hiker and their dog, and there could be some injuries. So I, I do play by the rules. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. I'm lucky because there's a dog park, so they can just all run around and... You know, yeah. it's and yeah. it's interesting too. This this brings up a point that's later in the book, but I don't bring my lab to the dog park because he doesn't know how to be around other dogs. He, he he now that he's older and he has arthritis, he doesn't. But he used to just keep jumping on him. They're growling at him, and he's still trying to play. Whereas Blue, he just has this sense of I'm going to sniff this dog and I'll play. But if the dog growls at him, and this is the whole thing that drives me nuts with the whole pit bull prejudice. Blue will back off. He'll cry. Yeah. He'll be like, "Stop it!" You know, he's a big baby. So I don't bring my, I don't bring Benji. The same thing later in the book, you talk about, you know, it's wonderful. We have these outdoor cafes. I can bring blue. He will sit quietly. He won't do anything. He won't bug other dogs. I can't bring Benji. He'd be all over everybody. All the smells, all the kind of people. You're tempting me beyond control. Yeah. Um, uh, years ago, I actually helped create five half a million dollar dream dog parks. Um Ooh. Beneful, and they hired me as the behavior expert, and awesome. they had uh, a couple people that did design. And not every dog is is made for a dog park, and I am grateful that dog parks today are becoming much more cognizant. There's even some memberships you got to show proof of vaccines and all that. They're actually I lobbied because there's always just like a big dog area and a small dog area, but in the big dog area, you've got old labs that don't want to be run over by the young labs. So I lobbied and got little senior big dog areas because they just want to sit and smell and check the roses and not get run over, you know, clipping, <laughs> clipping by a cat. So it's very important. Um, dog, dog parks can be great and dog parks can be dangerous. And I never bring any treats in. I never bring any food. I don't think I'm going to get there and just look at my phone and text. No. A real good pet parent at a dog park at, a park is watching their dog and yep. being there. I always put the leash around uh, my neck. I let it drape because if there is something that needs to be broken up, and I've broken up several dog fights, you have it with you. But no little kids with a lollipop. You're asking for trouble. The kid is at eye level to a dog. You are so right. You know, there's a lot of concerns I have with dog parks. But for the right dog park with the right dog, that's it, it, it brings out their social um, benefits. Uh, so I, I'm sort of mixed. When I take Kona, or I watch before I enter. And I pay attention to how the people are acting, how the dogs are acting. Uh, and and that makes that is what decides whether we go in or not. Yeah, that's really helpful. You, you know, you mentioned the dog fight. And I just uh, dog fight, I just want to mention that in the book, you have a, a, some great information on that. I mean, there is so much in here. It's just incredible. You, you stick your hand in and grab that collar because no dog in a frenzy knows that that's your fingers or not. And they're on survivor mold. And. You know, if you can clap your hands, have a loud, uh, there's those air spray things you can do. Um, just toss a towel over both of them, lights out. And they're like, oh, what's that? That's enough of a startled response that sometimes you can safely break them up. And there is the technique, I'm sure, you know, Lisa, with the, the wheelbarrow, mm -hmm. where you kind of grab the back legs elevated, not scooting across the ground because they still have leverage, but you need have it in a team where the other person has the other dog doing the same thing. Soon as they're separated, you need some kind of a visual block. They cannot make the doggy De Niro stare down. You know, looking at me, I'm looking at you. You're looking at me, I'm looking at you. You've got to block their vision 
And that sometimes also helps drop down that level. So important. I want to talk about seeking the right canine because like I said, I got my first dog at 33. I went to the shelter and uh, the, I shared the story already. So I'll keep it brief. All the dogs are barking. There's this beautiful, ter- <laughs> well, now I know it's a terrier mix um, in the back of its cage with a big cone on, just looking so sad. And I just started crying. I don't know. I just had this sense. I got to get this dog. And I'm like, what's, you know, what's going on with him? And they said, well, he was hit by a car, probably needs expensive surgery. Well, my husband and I were living for free in his parents-in-law apartment. And I thought, you know what? We're taking this dog. He was a, a pit bull border terrier mix. He was such a love, but lots of spunk. Oh my gosh. And stubborn, but sweet. Oh, Bailey was really special, but I had no clue and it worked out. But in hindsight, I probably should have done some research. So talk to us about why that's important. I agree. We can fall in love with the story or the look of a dog at a rescue group or a shelter. And one of my great mentors is Dr. Marty Becker, who created Fear Free Pets, and we've been buddies for 20 years. Oh, nice. So I'm going to credit him. And he said, you know, when you go to pick a dog or a puppy, keep this in mind. You're going to have that that canine probably longer than your car. Definitely, um, maybe you might switch careers or jobs. You might even get divorced or have kids. The point is, the one constant probably from 10 to 18 or more years could be that dog. So this is not the, you shouldn't be uh, making a rash emotional tug decision. And I know that from experience. I had a beautiful husky golden retriever named Chipper who shed a lot. Shed, I didn't say shit, but she probably did, but shed a lot. Yeah. And uh, she was getting older. And she was my safety dog in my Pet First Day for You classes. And I knew I needed to get another dog. It took me over a year to find Kona, who's about a 35-pound terrier mix. Mm. And she was at a a place, because when I would do temperament testing, they would fail. They hate cats. They were leash reactive. I mean, there's boom, 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 boom. But she was in two different shelters for the first year and a half. But she was always kenneled with another dog. And on her cage, it, it kind of it said, "I have to be in a home with another dog." I or a, I in all this. So here I am. I spent a long time, and we temperament tested her. And the other thing is, I have cats at home. I can't have a dog that doesn't like cats. And my cat Casey is teaches pet first aid. Uh, pet first aid. Yeah, she teaches. He teaches pet first aid with Kona. So I have a dog cat teaching team, and he's a therapy cat. Oh, Kona thinks cats are gods. So they had a resident at the shelter, and Kona was like, hi, my name's Kona. You want to be my friend? So (laughs) take your time, because then you will have less behavior problems, and it's, it's just so easy, but they last a long time. This isn't something, it's not... It's not something like you're going to change your computer every three years or some other things. Dogs are in it for life. So it's okay to be a little bit more patient. There are checklists out there. If you have family members, you know, how often do you travel? What what kind of activity level? Do you want a couch potato? Check out the retired greyhounds. People think all they do is run. Oh, no, all they do is snooze, right? Oh, yeah. But maybe a dog that likes to swim or you know, all these things, write down your own list, be honest with yourself. Do you really like dog hair or not? Put it down. And I'll tell you, when you pick with a purpose, it is a magical connection. And the pet is with you for life. And there is no more, let's go surrender to the shelter. Yes, that is so important. This is definitely not a a knee-jerk action because this is a sentient being who's going to be part of your family. Yes, completely. Well, you know what we did with, uh, with Bailey, our first dog, we wanted a second dog. So the shelter said, bring Bailey and we'll bring out some different dogs. And every dog, Bailey was great with other dogs. He was okay. That's all right. From far away, he saw Bobo, who was a setter shepherd, Irish setter German shepherd mix, gorgeous dog. I mean, really far away. Benji, I mean, Bailey started doing the full body wag. Bobo came in, 
they played and played and played with the jaws relaxed. Like everything was perfect. And so we let him pick. We brought him home and Bobo ended up being just an absolutely amazing dog. And they played past midnight, like in the car. They didn't eat. Aww. They just got- well, I love my brother from a different mother. <laughs> Is that okay to let your dog pick your next dog? Or you're just supposed to see if they get along. Well, you did the right thing. You watched what your dog was doing. And your dog was screaming for love from this dog. But you also, though, need to have the final decision. Sure. Is the dog that you think rocks his world a good fit in your house? Um you know, right. I don't know. Is, it, is the dog too big, too small, too barky, too clingy? I mean, there's there's a lot of people that I, I praise that are doing fostering. And there's different levels of fostering. And you can do it. it my sister's retired nurse with her husband. And they get a, a, a foster dog in. They have a cu- couple dogs themselves. But they're doing it to acclimate the dog to being in a home-like setting. But there are people that then realize after spending two, three, four weeks or more, this is actually a good fit for us. Oh, yeah. And I really want, if I can change any verbiage on the planet in the dog world, I would like to replace, oh, I'm a foster failure with, I'm a foster success. I realize after a few weeks, this is the dog for us. And I got the chance to kick the tires and find out, and it's a good fit for the dog. It's a good fit for our family. I'm a foster success. I also call them shelter alums, not shelter rescues, because there are a lot of hardworking uh, folks in shelters, and they're really evolving. You know, there's veterinary hospitals there. There are daycares. There's a lot of things that are happening in the shelter world. Kona is a shelter alum of the Rancho Coastal Humane Society, and my cat, Casey, is from the San Diego Humane Society. I call them shelter alums. Yeah, Benji's a shelter alum. And as a matter of fact, there it's kind go. of funny because Benji helped me find Blue. We were out walking at this place we like to walk. And I see Blue. And I, like I said, I'm a pit fanatic. And the, what we were immediately the dogs got along. And the woman's like, oh, my God, people ignore us. And Blue is such an angel. It's so sad. And she said, you know, I might have to give him away because he's my son's my son went off to college. And I'm like, don't give him away. Where do you live? Yeah. I will take care of him four days a week because I love pits. And, of course, now he's ours. Pitties used to be called nanny dogs, and I'm a pit, pit promoter. I mean, when I lived in California, I live in Dallas now, uh, the San Diego Humane Society did something wonderful. Every year, all the pitties that got adopted out when as allowed got dressed up, nails painted, whatever, yes. and they did a, a little pit bull, unbelievable beauty contest. And then people would come and it raised awareness and it also helped raise awareness for the current pities that were at the shelter to get adopted. Oh, and that's wonderful. Uh, on the radio show, um, Oh Behave, we had Rachel Ray on. She's a big pity fan. Yeah. And I think I scared her at the beginning because I said, you know, Rachel, I have a name for pities. <laughs> She's like this on the other line. Yeah. I said, I call them meaty cheeks. Because when they smile, they got the meaty cheeks. And- <laughs> <laughs> They're such smushes. It's like he can't get close enough to me. Like he literally is smushes so hard. It's like he's trying to get inside me. Very smart, very loyal. And even the boys have kind of a mom instinct. Yes. Section two is what are you talking about? And you talk about different sounds dogs make. So Blue whines by the back door to go out when he is hungry kind of interesting or when it's dinner time and I'm like he's so like we're supposed to be eating mom come on you're a few minutes late he'll cry by his water bowl if it's empty and then he has a certain cry if he wants you to pet him and then Benji doesn't really whine much at all sometimes he makes funny noises but he barks at everything which is a lot and we'll get into the barking but talk to us about the whining first I think it's cute when blue does it I call him Mr. Baby well dogs do have a vocabulary and they're very consistent at it, but you have to put it in context with what the environment is. So a wine, well, I like a Merlot, but a wine with an H um, would be, you know, it depends on the circumstances. They could be injured. Mm-hmm. They could be caught in something. They could be realizing because they wear invisible watches that you are absolutely four minutes late from feeding them. 
And yep. this really impacts them emotionally. So the wine is, is more about step back and look around what is going on. What is maybe triggering that expression? Because dogs, you know, they, you see the, the coffee mug that says uh, Wagmore, Bark Less, and all these things. That's a doggy creed. Except for the yappers, most dogs don't really say anything unless they have something to say. And they need to be verbal to us because we haven't read their body posture very well. And they're like, great, now i got to try to talk because this human didn't get my body posture. So in the case of whining, it's really about taking a moment and finding out what's going on. Because that's, that's a little cry for, I need your help. I'm so glad you said that because I'm so used to Blue whining about wanting to cuddle or be on his chair or whatever. The other day we got home from a walk and somehow he got his, I was about to take off his leash and I had to go to the bathroom and I come out and he's whining and I just, I'm like, well, come sit with me, Blue. And he, and I go and sit and he keeps whining. It's only a minute or two, but I'm like, what the hell's going on? His leash got stuck somehow under the refrigerator and he couldn't come. And I just oh. was like, oh, he's just whining for attention or he's so it's good that I checked. Putting on my pet first aid hat. I have taught uh, pet first aid for 12 years. I teach first responders. I teach pet sitters. I'm a master instructor. And it is a cry for help. So we teach you how to be do a 360. Look around, front, left, right, up, back, and behind you. Look, listen, and smell. These are clues like a pet detective that might help as a pet parent to under to identify what is causing my dog to be or whining. And if you take the time to kind of tap all your senses and look around, it may be something you weren't expecting, like a leash under the refrigerator that's stuck. Sometimes there's a ball or a toy that he wants and it's under a a place he can't get it. And he'll just sit in front of the chair, but you look at him, he looks fine. So I'm like, what's, and then I'm like, oh, there must be, yep, there it is. You can smell that the ball's under there, but we don't smell the ball under there. Right. Now (laughs) let's talk about the barking because that, I mean, I don't know anybody whose dog doesn't bark when the doorbell rings or when the FedEx people come. So talk to us about what can we do? I think every dog has the candid right to say, hey, 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 somebody's coming up the walk. It's when it becomes a marathon barking session and it goes into overdrive that there is a behavior issue. But I like that my dog is going to let me know that someone is coming and approaching. Our job, though, is to show, hey, I got it. Thank you. I'm taking over now. And, and in my book, we kind of identify some things to do. Right. You can't do things like have the dog on a leash or something so they can't really reach the door. And when the doorbell rings or something, if you can get them in a sit and stay, you could also, if the door, if the... It depends on the who the delivery is and your house. Like some of my friends have uh, the mail slots, you know, where you can drop the mail in. Yeah. Which I think have a dog is dangerous because they can shred all your bills. True. Your stuff, right? <laughs> Maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> what you can do is you can have something near it and, and ask the delivery, regular delivery person or mail person to maybe put some little kibble through the, the chute before they put the mail in. Oh, that's nice. And there's, there's a new association with that because they know it's the male man or the male lady. They know that person. They're getting to know that person. And that's a safe way to introduce that person as not an intruder or a burglar. So that's that's one idea. But the other idea is you, you can have them have a keep busy toy. You can train them find their spot. My Husky Mix Chipper, when the doorbell rang, I, would ha- I, I had a, a stairwell behind me. And I would go, Chipper, find your spot. Chipper would stand and sit on the ledge while I opened the door. She knew I was in charge, but she also was at a distance. So in the dog's mind, hey, if something happens, I'm able to help you. But you got it. A lot of it is our confidence and our way of saying, I got it. You don't want to be a bully. You want to be a benevolent leader, the keeper of all good resources, the person who is there, who's in charge, because dogs are so ranked oriented. The worst thing a dog can do is say, I don't want to be the captain now, but you clearly are acting like a private. So now I got to take over. But if you have this confidence and fake it till you make it, it is conveying to the dog that you're in charge, 
but they're there if, if you need them. And so there's different ways to deal with the barker, but pay attention because they may be in pain and, and they may be afraid about something and, and fear is just, it could be, it's an, it's a real emotional response to something you, me, the dog thinks it could be real or it could be perceived, but it's still a fear. It's still an emotional reaction response to something. And so just telling them to shut up in a dog language is bark more. <laughs> I just do a hand signal. I'm a mime. I look right at them. I don't say a word. They shut. I wait three seconds. Good hush. Oh. You get rewarded for the hush. I timing is important. Just once, and then give them a treat. That means more. But if you do the hush, you know, with no words, with the hand signal, pause, three seconds. There's silence. Good hush, and give a treat. Try that. All right. So my dog, Benji, is nine. Now, you know that expression, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Can I start? I see. I was about to say, I think you can. So I'm going to try that. I got married and inherited a a seven-year-old Bernese Mountain Dog mix who was terrified of men and terrified of thunderstorms. And Bujo lived to be 10 and a half. I called her my big black mountain, 90 Mm. pounds of love. And uh, I was able to condition her to be buddies with my brother-in-law and some other people, slow and steady. Um, And we used uh, fear-free techniques, which is to reduce fear, anxiety, and stress. I worked with my veterinarian. And Bujo finally was able to go to a vet clinic without defecating or peeing in the lobby. Oh, that's great. And so slow and steady. And there are great resources out there. I love my book. Oh, your book's incredible. But I also want you to know I'm part of Fear Free Pets. It's fearfreepets.com, Fear Free Happy Home. There's a lot of behavior, veterinary approved articles, videos. I've written some of them that help you make that uh, ability to help an animal feel less scared at all. And it doesn't matter what their age is. You can help an old dog learn better ways. Absolutely. You know, I don't have licky lose. I love that, that expression when you have a dog that licks too much. I mean, um, my pity's a little more licky. Like when we, someone comes over, he'll like, you know, lick them just a few times. And then Benji, Benji's kind of mouthy, which is a problem. Yeah. He doesn't bite down though. It's like a soft, he just kind of puts your hand, but he just, and, and people don't like that. That's a whole nother thing I have to work on. But how do you get a licky loo to be less licky and more loo? <laughs> well, you can put a little pickle juice on your hand. Oh, and that's okay. Um, and, and toss a treat somewhere. You can introduce them to like a Kong or some other stuffed item. Mouthy dogs, you know, it, it, it's, it's their way of communicating. They're leaving their scent on you. And so you're being the mark of Zorro with spit is basically what's happening. But um, you just need to redirect and you need to have something that they can go to when they're getting in a lovable mood. You know, they make popsicles and other things. But standing up, putting your hands in your pockets, don't push a dog away because that's like, bring me back faster, but just a cold shoulder. But yeah, I've tried pickle juice and they don't like it. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I kind of got defensive today. It was kind of weird. So we had this guy come over to install this shade in my daughter's room. And, Mm -hmm. you know, he's been over a few times before and, you know, he's fine with the dogs and, you know, Blue's licking him. He's fine with that. And then Benji's mouthy, but he doesn't bite down and he's like, no nipping. And I'm like, he's not nipping. He's just mouthy. And I was like, oh, that was not really the right thing. (laughs) Lisa, stop it. You know, he kind of looked at me like, get a grip, lady. Yeah, we have to make excuses for our dogs. But keep in mind, any dog can bite anyone at any time. And frankly, all of us here sometimes wish we could bite some people. <laughs> That's for sure. Based on their actions. And, but dogs are amazing at the control of their bite. You know, the lower jaw is where the power, it's like a drawbridge. And uh, you pay attention because if a dog just noses you or a dog drags a tooth or a dog breaks the skin or the dog goes for the gusto, 
every one of those were intentional. Oh, wow. There is not a lot of oopsies in dogs and their control of their bite. And it's very important to recognize that. And also, you may have uh, older friends come over that have very thin skin. That's true. And intentionally, a, a dog is doing the little mouth thing, and they're ripping the skin unintentionally. Mm-hmm. So it's not a good habit to maintain. No, no, I need to break it. He can learn. He's, he's all right. I know he's smart. He's with you. That's true. And he got the towel off. You can redirect to do something like a sit and a handshake or a, a wave. You know, your dog can sit and wave oh my God, to so say cute. hello to everybody. Benji, you're talking about, right? Yes. Yeah. So when, when people come in the door, Benji, park it! And have the dog do a, a hand wave instead of the mouth greet. And Benji's getting rewarded. Benji's getting attention. But there's no slobber on forearms. Yeah. <laughs> win, win. <laughs> that is such a good point. Okay, there's so much we didn't get to. And there's there's a couple important things. I want to just mention that you have uh, baby makes four about, you know, introducing a baby. We talked already about, you know, the, the outdoor cafes. And one thing I definitely want to get to you also have um, changing lives parting ways a is for aches and arthritis. I'm actually bringing Benji to a aquatic therapy place in February. I'm okay. super excited because he's very arthritic. Knowing when to say goodbye is so hard. So with my first dog, Bailey, it I have a video literally of him in the woods where there's this like area they can run and he's running like full speed. He's 13, never slow down. And yeah. one night my husband went out to the yard and he's yelling and yelling and yelling and Bailey is on his side and he can't move. We take him to the vet and they're like, everything's wrong with them. I'm like, really? And it wasn't like they, the doctor wasn't even like, you missed science. He's like, this dog just went and went and went and went and died. Like, that was it. And they're like, you got to put him down. But my Bobo, my beloved Irish Setter German Shepherd mix, showed all the signs of naturally slowing down and arthritic and having trouble getting up and pooping all over the house and not being. And we had to make that decision. And I feel like we did it maybe a teensy bit early. But then I feel like, well, what if, and I, but I knew someone who did way too late and it's just, oh, it's so hard. It's a, it's a hard call. All of us, all of us, people tuning into your podcast right now, we know our, our dogs are not immoral. I, I don't know why dogs can't live as long as birds. Just never figured that part out. You know, it's always better to be a little early than a little late. That's what my husband said. The second thing is be glad that we live in 2023 and not 1990. Because people, it was almost hard for people to admit to others that they're sad at work because their beloved dog of 10, 12, 15, 18 years has died. Wow. But now more and more people understand the um, human-animal bond and how much they do our bodies good emotionally, spiritually, physically, that we can come out of the closet and grieve. Grieve with right people. You know, if somebody has lost a pet, our best thing we can do for them is to be a good listener and not to be saying things like, I know how you feel. No, you don't. I don't care how many dogs you have or whatever. It's still an individual hurt and they have to go through the grieving process. Better to say things like, oh, I, I don't want to say your dog, Benji. Let's say Clarence because we want a different name. <laughs> Clarence, what a great dog. What's what's one of your favorite memories of Clarence and just shut up and let the person share a good memory. And there are places now there's pet hospice and it's really nice because sometimes a pet has a terminal condition and you want to give them as much quality of life as you can. And, and I just really urge you to check that out because people are realizing how magical that uh, pets are, but you know the signals, just kind of jot them down. Maybe they're not eating. They're not doing their favorite, the favorite things to do the ball chasing. They just look at the ball. The tests are not doing so well. You're, you're trying everything. They, they have more bad days than good. It's not an easy call, Um, but it has to be, each call has to be on its own merit. And I got to tell you, I think one of the best gifts you can give is to be there if you do need to do euthanasia. Be there and be there to say goodbye. And if they have a good four-legged buddy, have that buddy in the room. It helps give closure. 
And years ago, I actually was the editor of a cat magazine through Tufts University called Catnip. And the cat, my cat, Callie, was very well known. And we videotaped a series of Callie's last alive. She had cancer. And we videotaped, we had the caution, her euthanasia. And it was seen by hundreds of thousands of people. And they said help, that helped them get through that because my dog was there to say goodbye. So it's not, it's a tug, but look at all they've done for you all their lives. Saying goodbye, if you can, is one of the best gifts you can give them. Yeah. You know, I wish I had known that. I would have brought Bobo to say goodbye to Bailey because he was really sad afterwards. And you talk about that in your book. That's real. And that dogs love us and dogs grieve. Yeah. And everything's different now. And, and so it's an adjustment for everyone in the house. And even if you think you're doing right by bringing in a new pet right away, your survival dog may still be grieving and not really in the mood for another dog right now. So pay attention to the cues. I love what I do, but I really appreciate the opportunity that you're giving me to be able to be on your show and let people know dogs make a, a person good. And we just got to give them that chance. Well, Arden, my door is, my doggy door is always, we don't have a doggy door, but I'm going to be 10. My doggy door is always open. I mean, I know you're busy, but I would love to have you on regularly. I think you're incredible. And I do want to mention how much I love the little breed bites in the book. I love the one about the corgi. Oh, yeah. They got like a fairy saddle on their back. And I didn't believe it, but my dog, Jazz, it has this marking. It's kind of fun. Uh, if the queen was still around, she would confirm that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arden, as I said, you're always welcome on Dog-Eared with Lisa Davis. Tell us all the ways we can find you and all your work. Today, we talked about the Dog Behavior Answer Book, Understanding and Communicating with Your Dog to Build a Strong and Happy Relationship. I had so much fun. Like, this is just an absolute blast. I'm so happy. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. My name is the easiest, ArdenMoore.com. But that's my Facebook as well. Uh, But also, I would hope you all would consider going on my YouTube channel uh, because I have like hundreds of videos and uh, things that can help you. And it's just Arden Moore. And then finally, I am very passionate. I'm known as America's Pet Health and Safety Coach. And I do teach veterinary approved uh, pet first aid with a real dog, Kona, and a real cat, Casey, in person via Zoom. I've taught people from... Egypt, Australia, um, South America, all over the world. Thank you, Zoom. Uh, so go to Pet First Aid, the number four and the letter U, Pet First Aid for you, and come and take a class because we have fun in our classes because you learn better when you're having fun. Oh, absolutely. Well, everyone's going to love this, learn a ton and have fun. I want to thank you so much. Everyone, please come back to Dog Ear with Lisa Davis. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Lisa Davis MPH. You'll see a picture of Benji cuddling his uh, roller skate and lots of blue and I out, <laughs> out and about. <laughs> anyway, thank you all so much. <laughs>